0: This week's episode of Probably Science is brought to you by Startapod, who are offering our listeners 50% off the first year of a monthly or annual subscription. All you have to do is go to startapod.com slash probably.
1: This episode is also brought to you by The Great Courses Plus. You know them, you love them. For a free trial of access to their entire library, go to thegreatcoursesplus.com slash probably.
2: Probably Science
1: Hello and welcome to Probably Science. My name is Andy Wood. I'm Matt Kirshen. Uh We are uh, we're getting the tech worked out bit by bit. It's. Don't jinx don't know, it, but yes. <laughs> it's, it's sounding marginally better every day. Um, I'm, I'm going to just. Let's just jump straight into our guest, uh, joining us from New York, uh, where he moved to write on Patriot Act uh, with Hassan Minaj. Uh, I know him because he is the head writer and creator of Memory Hole, the Quibi show that I wrote on at the end of last year that has just come out. You should definitely check it out. Uh, you may also know him from the Power Thirst video that went all around the internet many years ago and many other things. Please welcome Scott Vrooman. Hey guys. Hey man, how's it going? Very well. How's how's quarantining in New York? It's exciting in all
2: of the wrong ways <laughs> all the different all the ways New York is usually not excited. Um, yeah, it's fine, though. it's just you know, like everyone else sitting inside, the ambulance sirens have subsided a little bit, which I think is a good sign. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> that's, it's a very bleak thing to say. <laughs> but, um, yeah. It's good. You haven't had you haven't had any like long distance
0: uh, or, or like balcony to balcony romance with someone who you've sent a drone over to to ask her
2: on a virtual date or anything. Oh God, that sounds like way too much effort. No, uh, <laughs> people have who, viral shows. for those of things. <laughs> just, just yeah, not willing to put in that elbow grease. Um no. no. But there is the the seven o'clock uh, cheer, though, the pots and pans, and the screaming, and horn. Somebody just sets off a car alarm. <laughs> a celebratory (laughs) car alarm
1: which Uh, you're never quite sure whether that's just a a (laughs) break-in (laughs) all right um, 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 yeah yeah in east hollywood where we are we have uh fireworks get set off at eight o'clock and again i don't know whether that's to honor the first responders or whether that's because the area we're in people just like setting off fireworks
2: yeah or just any excuse excuse. want to torture dogs (laughs)
1: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we, we want to honor first responders and terrify pets in equal measure. We want it to be known that doctors and nurses good, dogs bad.
0: What about those first responder dogs? What a, what a quandary. Oh,
1: yeah. Well, I think they're trained to be calmer in the face of loud explosive noises.
2: Okay. Yeah. So, they're like emergency room doctors. They're just they're they have no emotions anymore. They're just numb.
1: <laughs> <It's>
0: just <laughs> just like St. Yeah. Drink it out of their own flask.
1: Uh um We we like we like to ask our guests this before we get deep into stories. Uh what, if anything, is your background in science, Scott? And that has range from courses that people did at college to teachers they liked or hated at school to they would blow things up in the woods as kids and terrify their neighborhood dogs uh, to I am a professor of neuroscience
2: oh man it's this will be very quick because I just wasn't that into it in in high school I hated chemistry I didn't like biology because it's just memorizing stuff I guess it didn't really hit me. But in in university, though, first year, I took an astronomy course, which was fantastic. Um, And after that, (laughs) yeah, I I dated someone doing a PhD in biochemistry. So that was my experience hanging out in the labs.
1: Oh, wow. wow. Um,
2: And uh, beyond that, (laughs) yeah, so I know that like a pipette is. Um, I think that was it.
1: So what was – you did, was the astrophysics or astronomy course that you took, was, was that a sort of – you had to do a compulsory science course and that's the one you landed on?
2: No, I, I was in business school, and so I could – and I took, like – I could take, like, anything for an elective. And, yeah, I guess I, I had some inkling. I, I did – when I was little, we would go to um, – florida for vacation and near cape canaveral and so i had been to like kennedy space center and it was always like when i was a kid and that was always something that really interested me and the the prof of this course was fantastic and uh yeah it was yeah that was my my main experience though
1: uh i've still um, I, I I visited Cape Canaveral and Cape Kennedy. I I went on that trip as a kid when we went on a family holiday to Florida. I haven't been there since. I would love to go back as an adult. But the other thing I I'm I'm cursing myself for not at any point in the in the before days going to <laughs> see a rocket launch. Uh, I guess uh, I still I guess could I said, a shuttle but, launch. But, yeah, because or or even now nowadays they do the the SpaceX and various other private uh, rockets. Mostly they're from Florida, but there are a few that, uh, each year that take off from around, not too far from Los Angeles, like an hour and a half drive. And I, I really should.
2: Oh, I didn't know that. I did, I did see, I went and visited my parents vacationing there uh, a few years back and, and and I was able to see a SpaceX rocket launch. It was a really skinny, fast rocket. Like it wasn't the really big kind, but, um, it was still pretty cool.
1: Uh, that's uh what was it like so you know how it was how how rapid how sort of aggressive was was it
2: really fast like i i saw like from a a long distance a space shuttle launch when i was a really little kid but we were on our way to orlando and and so it was just sort of a speck in the distance but if you were at like coco beach near Cape canaveral like it was deafening like those things really had a punch but these rockets were like it, it wasn't as loud, and it just was, like, because people that vacation there are, like, snowbirds go there for months, see, the, like, tons of these things now. They go up all the time. And so they're, like, oh, yeah, that's, like, a really small one. The, there are really huge rockets, like, the size of, like, the Saturn 5s or whatever, those really, those monsters that, like, the Apollo yeah, missions yeah. went up on. Um, I think the biggest SpaceX are, are, like, that level, but these little toothpicks just sort of, like, what... What surprised me was just how fast. It was like I tried to take a picture of it going up, and it was just like it shot up really fast.
1: That hadn't occurred to me, but I I guess it kind of is. a bit like you think of it as such a slow, gradual process because there's so much momentum that they need to overcome or so much inertia that they need to overcome to get something that (laughs) heavy off the ground. But I guess with that much explosive, it almost is like watching a firework rocket go off if you're far enough back. I don't know.
2: I just realized like I did just make a very childlike observation saying, The rocket went up very fast. (laughs) No,
1: but I I suppose it's a rocket. But that is actually surprising because when you sort of when when you watch the videos, it does feel like a sort of quite gradual. It's slowly lifting off the ground. But of course, that's so far away. It's always in
2: slow motion. But I guess not. Like it, it it is like it is a process that starts slow for sure. Before the momentum catches up.
0: I've never seen one take off. I did see that one. We've talked a lot about this, I think five years ago or so. I think it was a Trident um, test thing. So it was like a very high altitude um, missile that, that blew up over the night sky and made everyone in LA go crazy. Not the most recent one, Whoa. but um, there have been a couple of times. One of the times it was like very clear. They They publicized what it was, so it shouldn't have been a mystery. But this time it was something I think they didn't ever officially say what it was. And it was terrifying to just see something in the sky and i was also out of cell phone range that night so i was just looking up at the sky and genuinely wondering if we were getting uh making first contact oh my god (laughs) like it was like a a trident missile yeah it was yeah it it changed direction it it must have been i I remember this happening i remember it being
1: just like the internet was they are here and then they everyone had and then there had to be sort of press releases going actually this is what was going on
0: I think it's a different one. There was there was a more recent one that was a lot brighter. Everyone saw that they did say what it was. This one, I think, it was never even really. It's just kind of people eventually spread the word that it had been this Trident thing. But even the military never put out. I think on this one,
1: I don't know. That sounds right. That sounds plausible. Yeah. Um, I
0: mean, as,
2: as far as like like science topics that I'm personally obsessed with, like uh, nuclear missiles would for sure be at the top of a list. I mean, mostly for like the politics of it and stuff, but. Um, yeah, I've read I've read quite a bit and seen very uh, traumatizing movies about that. <laughs> Pretty much all of them. <laughs> um, I found an article about the thing that I was talking about five years ago,
0: which we can also put in the show. Yeah, notes. Did that is
1: so people can see. Um, while we're talking about sort of follow ups and show notes, we we are we're mostly on these episodes we're going to do some special episodes about the current situation we're we're mostly avoiding it but we did get onto a bit of conversation about ventilators last week and we had two emails in um one the uh from listener Pratik Patel who is both an anesthesiologist and is involved in developing new uh a team who's developing new ventilators and we might actually sort of talk to uh Pratik at some point and actually interview but also um uh, i i specifically mentioned my friend helen who i know listens to the show who is also she's an atheist and i went, oh, what's the de- you run ventilators what's the deal uh and she sent a very detailed reply which uh I will. I, if you're, if you guys are okay, listeners, and Scott and Andy, I'll, I'll go through. Yeah, I'll,
2: I'll nerd it. Yeah, on that I think later. It's, it's all really
0: interesting because,
1: I, because I, it's, cause it's... we keep reading about ventilators and you know what's the deal with s- w- what's involved and there's been this does connect to what we were just talking about because it's the SpaceX captain himself, Elon Musk, sent essentially a CPAP, CPAP machines. Yeah, it was, was it? one level more sophisticated Glorified. than CPAP, but basically the same deal. It's an anti-sleep apnea machine that. <laughs> He sent to these univers- to these hospitals um and also these and also people like Dyson promised to develop new uh ventilators when he's not making vacuum cleaners and that went away uh interestingly after Dyson happens to be a large donor to the conservatives anyway uh but um so hi, Matt and Andy. Just listened to your last episode uh wanted to hear a request from an The question was asked why are they so hard ventilators so hard to make? Uh, there's a little caveat at the beginning, a disclaimer saying I'm an anaesthetist, not an engineer, so I'm aware of the general principles, but I'm not an expert in the actual development or function of these machines. But we do learn a fair amount in our training uh, and um, on anaesthetic machines. That's the machine that delivers oxygen and anaesthetic gases to the patient. Uh, and there's a fair bit of crossover, so I hope this is detailed enough. Uh, so what's a ventilator required to do? A modern ICU ventilator on its simplest setting delivers oxygen mixed with air to a set amount, from 21% to 100%, to a certain volume, to a certain pressure, at a certain rate, with a certain pattern to that delivery, uh, building up pressure in a controlled manner, for example, and measures all of these things continuously. There are many technical challenges when it comes to making the ventilators. They are complex machines with gas and electrical connections, complex flow mechanics, and connections required inside quite a small box. There are several important technical safety requirements. For example, the gas supply and connections from the wall, oxygen, slash air must be absolutely reliable. Oxygen is good. No oxygen is bad. Too much much oxygen, also bad. The pressures these wall gases are delivered at uh, is at four atmospheres. So that then requires pressure reducing valves and monitoring to ensure the high pressure is not passed directly to the patient's lungs. I guess that would blow them up uh, or burst their lungs. There are also complex electrical systems for control and monitoring, which must adhere to electrical safety standards. There is... Okay, that's one set of complications. Yeah. Here comes the next one. There's the risk of infection if the ventilators are not adequately protected, not just from COVID, which has quite a short lifespan on surfaces, but also things like CJD, which has an undetermined lifespan, so it could potentially infect someone else much later. So it must be cleanable with filters, etc., protecting parts that cannot be decontaminated. Then, there are many vital alarms which alert healthcare professionals to problems with both the machine and the patient. High and low airway pressure, disconnection, oxygen delivery, high or low volumes, etc. Accuracy is vital, as small changes in volume or pressure are important. Most adults should have a volume of around 300 to 600 milliliters per breath, based on ideal body weight. So a difference of only 100 milliliters, which is a pressure difference of only 10 centimetres of H2O inside the airway, is a large proportion. As mentioned before, this is so many things. Oxygen is vital with these patients who have low oxygen levels. When breathing normal air, 21%, the oxygen air composition and delivery must be controllable and accurate using a variety of pumps, turbines, and bellows, which varies between ventilator types. Uh, Causing a patient to be so unconscious they do not breathe on their own is quite difficult sometimes, and not usually in the best interest of the patient if that means they require lots of sedative or paralytic medications for no other reasons. Modern ventilators have complex algorithms to allow ventilators to work with the patient 's own breathing to assist while not forcing the patient 's lungs to fight against the ventilators leading to difficulties ventilating or damage from high airway pressures and volumes i'd imagine these are not easy to develop um, okay so that 's another thing it's so rather than just sort of it 's the feedback with yeah, it yeah so, so rather than the, rather yeah. than sort of having the machine do all of it it's it 's detecting when you are breathing out and in and And augmenting that which I think she then talks about later on also one of the things the more modern machines does is or do is work to wean you off the machines by doing less and less over time Um, so uh, here we go here's another thing modern settings are also useful to help ventilate lungs that may be damaged in certain ways when there are different compliances in different parts of the lung where you risk blowing one section up like a balloon and even popping it while another section is collapsed and not receiving any gas at all. And then these settings can also help with the weaning, uh, which is reducing the amount of support the patients get as they improve. The system has to be very be- responsive as the patient's breathing pattern can change very quickly.
0: Yeah, I can't believe the weaning part is left to the machine. I would think that's just something where like the doctor would monitor and then slowly just turn the Yeah, down but you can't because it's got to work with the breathing. Um, no, but even like, just the overall set, they wouldn't like per breath be doing this but just turn a dial down of of you know the average
1: volume per breath um there are also technical issues such as the control of inspiratory and expiratory timings and ratios water build up in the breathing tubing maintaining a warm temperature and humidity and carbon carbon dioxide build up all these things must be reliable and accurate uh (laughs) Because otherwise the patient's at risk of harm from either poor delivery of oxygen, failing to adequately and safely fill the lungs, risk of electrical danger, or prolonged requirements from deep sedation, muscle muscle paralysis, which exposes them to high risk of things like ICU weakness, neuropathy, uh, delirium, pneumonia, and other non-ventilation complications of a long ICU stay which all means that making a ventilator from scratch or even just developing a manufacturing plant for an existing or reverse engineered design, ensuring they meet stringent safety standards to ensure they're not riskier for the patient than infection, is difficult and takes a long time. To make up for the shortfall, we're currently using transport ventilators and anesthetic machines, which have adequate ventilators but have several technical issues when used for long-term ventilation, days and weeks, compared to the day-week ones, uh, there's a reason why modern ICU ventilators cost upwards of thirty-five grand each.
0: That's in pounds. Yeah, that's in pounds. So, so
1: we're talking 50, like up to around fifty thousand dollars. Relatively simple machines would be far less helpful for the treatment of COVID patients, and probably would not save that much time or money. And yeah, and then she finishes by saying, uh, "Snorkels have apparently been used during all of this, but they were for modifying scuba masks to make F- FFP3 safety mask rather than ventilating eight patients at once with a bagpipe. And there have been people doing inventive hacks to make a single ventilator possibly uh, ventilate two or more patients, but it does limit the use of the clever advanced settings and requires both patients to have similar requirements of pressure, volume, and oxygen delivery. Yeah, I've heard about that. So, um, there you go. That's a very thorough answer, but that's all basically why... trying to turn a Hoover into a ventilator is a lot more complicated than we thought.
0: Yeah. So you're saying I can't use my, um, bouncy castle pump. I have out front. Yeah. You, that's not you can't it. use
1: that. You can't use those bagpipes that you've got lying around.
0: Right. There's lots of extra bagpipes.
1: And your scuba gear. Holy shit. I probably
0: do have scuba gear somewhere. Not scuba, like snorkel. I think somewhere probably not out here in the desert, but yeah, that's, that's insane. Um, I, I can't even like uh, conceive of... Not that I would have had a solution to this, or <laughs> not that this would have spurred any ideas about how to make them more cheaply, but... Uh,
1: Imagine if just the solution to this ventilator just came about from just musing on a podcast. Right. Hey, if you <laughs> listeners have any ideas on how we can uh, ventilate 20 or more patients, just write in to the usual, like, probably science at com, and we'll forward it on to the authorities.
0: There's like a goodwill hunting of ventilators exactly. somewhere. It's
2: just the janitor and
1: uh yeah scott do you reckon you could save someone's life in a pinch
2: oh god i hope i i hope so <laughs> With, I, I don't think i could fashion a ventilator out of uh, even a you know a ventilator but <laughs> <my best>.
1: <laughs> 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 yeah that's like listening to everything helen was just saying in that email did make me very aware that in, in some kind of like last man on earth type scenario or some sort of survival we're the last few people around, even if we were to break into an absolute state of the art hospital, I would have not even the beginning of an idea of what to do.
0: Yeah, that's uh, I, I don't even know if you guys had someone keel over in front of you and they had no heartbeat would you know what to do? And if so, tell me what you would do. I mean, just tell me if you know what the, what the I, CPR I rules think are.
1: What you do is you kneel over them, you hold them by the lapel and you shake them and say, stay with me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, Ultimately, I learned that, that on and CBS. Your fist at yeah. The uh,
2: yeah, I think, I think it's like the, the chest. I think the the thing now is like, you can just do chest compressions. It's like, they're really lowering the bar lower and lower for people to be like, just look dummy, just pound on their chest, and that might help, right? Um, but,
0: like, but like, if so, someone does, someone falls over in front of you. So what? What step by step? Walk me through what you do without looking it up.
2: Well, I think it's like it's like right below the rib cage, is something like that. Like you put your palm. I think that's the hillock. Yeah, you guys to be, the rib cage to make the heart. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i think it might be the same i think it's it might be the same area that you're pushing down and i and i know the, to the rhythm of staying alive uh <laughs> I'm <looking at> <laughs> i got like that from an episode of the office i took a, the sad part is i took a cpr course at some point and then just forgot it
1: i i think i ever did cpr i did the one where you um get out of a swimming pool in your pajamas
2: I don't know that one. I don't know uh, if that's a I course. I did that, that. That was
1: like the survival <laughs> course where you are. All right, what, can, wait, what? For real? Uh, yeah, yeah. It was like, a, for some reason, we had to wear pajamas over a swimming... over like sw- a swimsuit and jump into <laughs> a swimming pool. And then we practiced various ways of staying safe in a swimming pool. Like Was this pre- in England? Yeah, this is in, in England. It was a survival... It was like a sort of swimming pool or water safety survival class. And part of it was... Uh, for gentlemen a fl- <laughs> <a> fl- yeah <laughs> for gentlemen bathers <laughs> <laughs> it was um it was if you jump into a pool it was yeah i remember fashioning a sort of basic flotation device out of whatever outer layer of clothing you had like you could oh you, yeah you sort of that sounds familiar yeah make up like an air bladder you sort of make a balloon in the air with your clothes f- and hold it tight and then put it and then it, you can sort of hold it under the or just a around the surface of the water and it'll help you float and you can pra- and then you draw your knees up to your chest either by yourself or if you're with people you sort of huddle and all draw your knees up and huddle in together and you- that way you can serve as much of your body heat as possible and we we did this mm. in pajamas in a swimming pool aged about 15 we huddled in pajamas we huddled in wet pajamas with a balloons jacket I, I thought you
0: mentioned that part about the air bladder. I do remember taking jeans off and tying the ankles closed, then going underwater and blowing air in through the top hole of jeans, what do you, the waist, um, t- until you have this like a like a pool noodle. Then you can just kind of sit on the crotch of the jeans, one leg in front of you, one leg behind you, full of air, and it holds air long enough that it's yeah. I think I think like that's a, it. And then I also just Googled CPR, just so we could give our listeners um, the Red Cross's current recommendation, and they've gotten very, like you said, Scott, very just like tossing their hands up. They just, just do something because the official Red Cross CPR steps are one, one, push push hard, hard, push push fast. fast. Place (laughs) your your hands, place your hands hands one on top of the other in the middle of the chest. (laughs) Use (laughs) your body weight to help administer compressions that are at least two inches deep and delivered at a rate of at least 100 compressions a minute. Number two, deliver rescue breaths. Uh, with the person's head tilted back slightly and the chin lifted, pinch the nose shut, place your mouth over their mouth, blow into the person's mouth to make the chest rise, deliver two rescue breaths, then continue compressions. It doesn't say the number to, of compressions to do before going to those two. I thought it used to
2: be like 15 or something. But the,
0: the, compression's, the compressions are more important, important than the
2: breaths. Yeah, I think it's one of those things where it's like um, the more details they give people, the more likely they are to the panic and say, I, I don't remember. Um, yeah. So that might be the... The logic of, like, the simplicity of it.
1: Should we jump over to a different story? Sure. Did you have one you liked in particular? One second, Yeah, me. I'm always wary of these kind of psychology stories, because they, they always feel like the kind of thing that ends up being debunked a, a few years later. But let's give this one a crack that Andrew Miller sent in. The presence of a girlfriend diminishes young men's tendency to take <laughs> risks. New research provides... You- a- yeah, it's plausible. New research provides evidence that men tend to mellow out when they're with their girlfriends. The study published in Journal of Social and Personal Relationships found that the presence of a romantic partner reduces risk-taking propensity in young men who are in relationships with women. Uh, Lead study author Carol Silver said, I think it's important to understand the social functions of risk-taking. Oftentimes we focus on young people, on people's relative maturity to explain age differences in risk-taking, but young people aren't wired for risk-taking just for the thrill of it. The underlying thrill may facilitate risky behavior, but there's often some form of social gain that motivates the behavior. Evolutionary psychology theories tell us that risk-taking, especially in heterosexual men, functions to attract a partner. And we do have evidence that single men are more risky than men in relationships. So I was curious to know exactly what was protective about being in a relationship. Is being in a relationship enough, or is there something about the actual presence of a partner that is protective? In the study, 134 young men in relationships with women were randomly assigned to be tested alone in the presence of their girlfriend or in the presence of an attractive 24-year-old female stranger. Uh, which has got to be fun to recruit. I don't know how they successfully evaluate that stranger's attractiveness first, but they must have to do that. (laughs) Uh, The risk-taking test consisted of the Stoplight Task, a first-person driving game in which participants attempt to reach the end of a track as quickly as possible. The men were told the faster they arrived at the destination, the more money they could win, up to $10. In the game, participants are repeatedly presented with the choice of driving through an intersection to save time, but risk a car crash or to apply the brakes and wait to safely drive through if they wait they lose 3 seconds but if they crash they end up losing 6 seconds the participants found that the researchers found that participants took significantly fewer risks when in the presence of their girlfriend, there were no significant differences in risk taking between participants when they were alone compared to when they were with an attractive stranger
0: that's
2: weird you would have thought the attractive, attractive stranger, would stranger would be the highest risk
1: taking one yeah, yeah. Just,
0: yeah.
2: If you had to guess young, but, heterosec- but, so it's just like it's just girlfriend. It's not, like, a family member. Because my first thought is that, well, this is someone you know. You're now responsible for an extra person you care about. So it's not necessarily, like, girlfriend so much as, like,
1: friend. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that would be something that you'd also want to test, I would have thought. Like, whether, whether this effect is similar in the presence of a sibling or a uh, parent or an old friend, a, a platonic friend. Uh, that's, yeah. a, that's a good point
2: yeah it's it's weirdly specific that way, like I don't understand why they designed it to be like a girlfriend or an attractive woman, like it seems kind of loaded <laughs> like they're trying to do this temptation island with their their weird car experiment I don't know
1: right right yeah it it is interesting um it so it's unclear um. They, they say young heterosexual men are less inclined to take risk when they're in the actual presence of a partner. The presence of a partner has a sort of taming effect on a young man's risk-taking. But it's unclear how the presence of a romantic partner reduces men's propensity to take risks. The researchers believe it is possible that avoiding risks can signal safety and security, or that the presence of a romantic partners has a calming effect on young men, such that they become less concerned about task performance. And... Uh, Silver explained, I think a follow up study needs to include psychological assessments, whether it's Physiologic. Sorry, physiological. physiological, assessments, whether it's cortisol and testosterone levels or brain imaging. Uh, so one of those things might shed some light. Integrating physiological measures may help us pinpoint potential biological mechanisms that explain this mellowing out effect we observe a long-term study that follows young men into their early 30s would also be really interesting to explore how risk-taking tendencies behaviors and also general well-being fluctuate with the ebb and flow of romantic attachments it would also be interesting to know what sort of effect young men have on their girlfriends and what behavioral patterns we might observe in gay or queer couples imagine a similar study that compares men of different sexual identities and orientation such men in uh, heterosexual relationships and gay men where both partners are cis males and trans men dating cis women. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, well, well if you had to guess, what would you think uh, for for gay men? Who, who fucking knows? Why am I even yeah. <laughs> guessing? But, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, because this is half intuitive and half non-intuitive, like I said, because of the, the attractive woman you'd think would make bring about some showboating. The attractive stranger, rather. But maybe there's also the knowledge that, like, this game isn't that impressive no matter how you play it. So there's no way, no way to be a real badass. Did I lose you guys, uh, or am no, no, I just... Just, le- <laughs>
1: just letting you muse out loud. <laughs> like, sure, sure. <laughs> that is one of the problems of recording remotely, where there's there's no eye contact, so... We just let you flounder. I can't see you guys rolling your eyes, yeah. yeah. Um. Well, you know where you can learn more about psychology? Where is that? And and also, if you were to go to the Great Courses Plus, one of our sponsors that we very much like. Uh, i tell you what I've just started, because, you know, we we get to dip in and out of these various different courses. Uh, Scott, to fill you in, this is our sponsor who has a a huge variety of lectures taught to a university standard by top professionals in their field. And... uh, Available, the enti- available as an entire library for subscribers. Uh, we very much enjoy them. They're they're great. And I have. What are they called? It's called the Great Courses, the great Plus, Courses Plus. And uh, yeah, they they've been sponsoring us for a while. And I I realized in these sort of tense times, we had an episode a while back with quite a while back with Dr. Jane Gregory talking about cognitive behavioral therapy. And there is a cognitive behavioral therapy course on the Great Courses Plus that I'm I'm starting to dive into because I f- I feel like uh during these particular times i you know i could do with a little bit of um brain restructuring i don't know about you but it's definitely hitting certain yeah (laughs) i'm with you yeah it's
2: right in my sweet spot i'm like i feel like i'm generally like an anxious person and now like everyone else is on the same wavelength as me so it's like there is something <laughs> weirdly comforting, <laughs> at least at first. It was it was a weird that's, experience, but now you know.
0: That's what I felt at first too. Yeah, I was like, I'm screwed. But then again, everyone's screwed. So it's kind of like no one's screwed. But now it's like, no, everyone's everyone's screwed.
2: Yeah, then the cre- that kind of creeping dread starts to come in. <laughs> yeah, then it's a whole. But luckily, running there's running. the great courses plus. Yeah. If you have time in your look, I'm hands, I'm looking you can at use it right this. now.
1: Yeah, so Matt, your course, you said it was called. Uh, my course is called Cognitive Behavioural Therapy, Techniques for Retraining Your Brain. And it's taught by Jason M. Satterfield, Satterfield rather, who is a... Uh,
0: that sounds like something worth checking out. Yeah,
1: he's a, he's a cognitive behavioural therapist and a professor of clinical medicine, director of social and behavioural sciences at the uh, Division of General Internal Medicine at University of California, San Francisco, UCSF. UCSF? I used to live near there. It's, uh... Yeah, I think we've had guests on the show from up that way before, right? Back in the day? I believe so. That sounds Back familiar. when we were allowed to have guests on the show f- in person. Oh, in person. Remember
0: those days? Yeah. But now that we're quarantined, you guys have time to go avail yourselves of the many, many courses. As we've talked about before, lots of science courses, obviously, in history, but things like playing guitar are in there as well, or... Um, Everything you want to know about beer was one that I was watching earlier. So yeah,
1: we've uh, if you visit the Great. We've each we've Go both ahead. got our ways of getting through this situation. <laughs> right. Yeah.
2: In, in the words so the of, is pl- of USA Today, tired of binge watching? Try some binge learning.
1: Oh God! Uh, you
2: can't really uh, beat that.
1: Uh, um, binge uh, learning. So yeah, this, but this yeah, Am I trying
2: yeah. too? Am I trying too hard here? <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I I appreciate it. We that, uh, I I just the 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 way this situation is affecting there was a a tweet i can't, I can't find the actual tweets so i'm gonna have to paraphrase by uh, rachel mccartney who's i think a new york based comic very funny on twitter but tweet is something along the lines of um uh my psychiatrist your uh obsessive compulsive disorder is irrational the government if you don't wash your hands 40 times a day your parents will die <laughs> yeah, I can read that too. It's perfect. And it's just, yeah, that is exactly how I feel about this situation. It's definitely hitting everyone, uh, uh, like a large number of my neuroses. It's, it,
2: it, yeah, all those thoughts that were like, you're being irrational or irrationally pessimistic. You're thinking of a worst case scenario. And, yeah, you now know, you can when read you a Washington, a theory, a Post, Washington, article Washington article Post article, 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 article that supports that, that view. That that view. view.
0: Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Well, here's something that I've been obsessing over the last two minutes. We haven't said the URL yet, which is thegreatcoursesplus.com slash probably. Visit thegreatcoursesplus.com slash probably for a free trial with unlimited access to the entire library that we've talked about. So, yeah, it's a
1: great way to get through the situation. I'm doing it. I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying both the academic courses and the sort your stuff out courses. Do that to thegreatcoursesplus.com slash probably. We also have another sponsor as well right now. If you
0: Yeah, this is our second week in a row with, with Startupod.
1: Yeah, I, I, I know uh, a bunch of you are you've messaged us over the years asking how you'd start up a podcast of your own, and we always tell you, don't do it. We don't want the competition. But <laughs> we are. But yeah, well I, I was
0: looking up technical things, and I just had to go to so many different resources online, and I was like, well, which of these do I trust?" Because some of these are just like obviously trying to like upsell you, and uh, but now there's a service that has everything in one place. So you can see every part of the process from technical things to hosting to advertising. We have in-depth video courses, discounted hosting, easy to purchase gear, and an exclusive pathway with access to potential ad revenue. So it's a very simple, easy to navigate site. If you visit startupodcom probably you'll get 50% off the first year of your monthly or annual subscription.
1: Uh, hey, let's get into another story. Yeah. What, what do you reckon we got?
0: I I, I kind of like the... Uh, we, how could we have gone this long and not brought up the thing that is the most popular science story of the does last week? Does it involve
1: week? some kind of insect? Of course it does. Yeah, bunch of course of people sent in the murder hornets. I know Paul Moxworthy did. I'm sure some other people did. Mm-hmm. Uh, Let me see who else did. Uh, yeah, how do you feel about murder hornets there, Scott? Uh... I'm anti-murder hornets. <laughs> I don't
2: know if that's okay. a hot take, but... No, I mean, no, no, that's fine.
1: You're allowed to be. How do you, How do you feel, feel about justifiable, justifiable homicide, homicide
2: hornets? Uh, I mean, there's always a gray area with, yeah, with hornets, yeah. but... We're, right. we're actually in a stand-your-ground
1: stand hornet, hornet state. Ground hornet state. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> I've got a vehicular manslaughter hornet in my backyard that's kind of terrifying me. Um, but yeah, these, if people don't know what the actual deal with these are, um, Asian giant hornets, they use mandibles shaped like spiked shark fins to wipe out a honeybee hive in a matter of hours, decapitating the bees and flying away with the thoraxes to feed their young (laughs) God for larger targets, the hornets potent venom and stinger long enough to puncture a beekeeping suit, make for an excruciating combination that victims have likened to hot metal driving into their skin in Japan. These hornets kill up to 50 people a year. And now for the first time, they've arrived in the U.S. Finally. Um, Uh, So this New York Times article talked about someone whose hive was destroyed, and he's still not sure. So maybe this is, you know, this guy's sort of like uh, quick to uh, make assumptions about the murder culprit here.
1: um, The Los Angeles Times does have an article about how they're not as much of a threat as people claim. Ah, that's no fun. I know. You know, I... I saying, like, uh, yeah, loads of people die from the flu every year. And if, oh, my and God. Got to hear both sides. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, uh, they're not, yeah, not as bad as wasps. Which, uh, which you uh, do hear about that. You do hear about that. Um, yeah, the um, LA Times article, yeah, article says, Times article said- um, bug experts in Washington, when the Hornet was discovered in the U.S., agreed that the 2-inch Hornet is probably not worth all the buzz it has generated. Oh, no. No, no, no. no. Thanks, Faith E. Pino. Uh, staff writer at the la times it's not an existential threat it's something that can be managed according to doug yanega who is senior museum scientist at uc riverside's entomology research museum you just have to know that they are there and take the necessary steps Uh, it's like letting a virus spread you don't want to let your guard down well good job we're all in a planet (laughs) that is completely on our guard for any kind of virus and we'll never let it spread the uh, washington state department of agriculture has confirmed only two asian giant hornets both spotted last late last year in blaine the crook of the northwestern corner of the u.s there are also two unconfirmed reports of hornet sightings about eight miles down the road in custer according to washington state university and just across the border and the skinny strait of georgia in british columbia canada a colony of the giant asian hornets was found and eradicated in september but that's it yeah. so far, and scientists hope it stays that way. Again, I don't like these hopes. How do they eradicate
0: them with even more murderous hornets? Because that's also a problem. Like who murders the murderer? Yeah, you just gotta <laughs> gotta. Because I'm scared of that thing. Whatever took out the, the release mess. a bat to catch the hornets. Oh no!
1: And eat the bat. Mix it with some pangolin, yeah. or whatever. Release a tiger to get the bats. I mean, you're you're in all kinds of problems. <laughs> yeah.
0: By the way, do you want to do one COVID story? I forgot that I, we haven't talked about this revised flu estimate thing that I that I was ranting about online. I think have it we? is
1: worth talking about. We haven't talked
0: about it on the podcast. This I can't believe this isn't the biggest thing everyone's talking about because, like, I think one of the problems with with COVID right now is that or In general, is that everyone started off with this assumption that the flu deaths were X a year, and everyone's X was was pretty high. Like people would quote this 50,000 to seventy thousand a year. So everything was always out of the gate. Well, flu was already this. Um, that flew in the face of my intuition. Like given that I don't know anyone ever who's died of the flu. Um, but you know, I'm not a doctor. But there was this this blog on Scientific American by a doctor. Um, who has the same sort of problem that I do. I'll just read. So in late February, when the stock market was beginning to fall over coronavirus fears, uh, Donald Trump came out and gave that speech, and he said, the flu in our country kills from 25,000 to 69,000 people a year. His point was to suggest the coronavirus is no worse than the flu, whose toll of deaths most of us apparently barely noticed. Um... In early April, as social distancing measures began to succeed in flattening the curve in some parts of the country, an influential forecasting model revised the number of American deaths from coronavirus that it was projecting by summer downward to 60,000, which were already well past. uh, And some people, again, began making comparisons to the flu, arguing if this is ultimately no worse than a bad flu season, we should open the country up. Uh, But these arguments, like the president's comments, are based on a flawed understanding of how flu deaths are counted, which may leave us with a distorted view of how coronavirus compares with it. And this is crazy, because everyone has to basically reset their comparison. Too long didn't read. Reset it by a factor of five. It was off by a factor of five, more or less. Um, So when reports about the novel coronavirus uh, began circulating earlier this year, blah, 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 um, oh, when people started talking about the flu numbers, the author of this blog, it occurred to him that in four years of emergency medical residency, and over three and a half years as an attending physician, he had only ever seen one person die of the flu. Yeah.
1: The, and then... The, the, this this so, is... Yeah, this is the thing, because you do wonder with the coronavirus deaths whether, you know, is are people cherry-picking? Are people noticing is this is confirmation bias because it's being reported so much more? Or is it genuinely more? And it does seem like it is genuinely more.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so this doctor, he decided to call colleagues who work in emergency departments and say, how many patients can you remember dying from the flu? And most couldn't remember a single one over their entire careers. Um, so, yeah, we all, we all accepted these numbers, but it turns out these aren't actual confirmed flu deaths. These are estimates the CDC produces by multiplying the number of flu death counts reported by various coefficients, uh, reported by various coefficients produced through complicated algorithms. And these coefficients are based on assumptions of how many cases, hospitalizations, and deaths they believe went unreported. So the last six flu seasons, the CDC's reported actual number of confirmed flu deaths, which flu deaths, the way we're counting deaths from coronavirus, like confirmed. That's ranged from 3,000 to 15,000, which is nowhere near the 60 or 70 everyone's been talking about. So like everyone has to completely reset their basis for comparison. And if this is true, then like an average flu year, and now I'm just talking, not reading anymore. If we're in that 3,000 to 15,000 range, let's say it's 10,000 a year of flu deaths on average we're at 72,000 in two months. Like, we're so much worse. So, so, so much worse. So just put put the flu thing out, out of your head. It's just not correct.
2: It, I found, what, for me, what brings it home is where they have, like, the uh, excess deaths that they're releasing now. Like, here's how many people normally die over this time period yeah, in this place. Yeah. And here's how many people have. And then it's like, yeah, yeah. holy crap.
1: And, uh, those numbers, and then you have to those, sort of take off the fact that There are there there should be at least far fewer road traffic accidents and industrial accidents and various others because there aren't people. Oh yeah, there aren't as many people on the road and so on, like drinking and And I suppose
2: flu deaths as well. At least at the tail end, because we're all taking all these precautions, right? Yeah, but
0: I mean, I would say that you know those numbers you're talking about it might be accurate to compare those to these flu estimates, because they're probably extrapolated in the same way, but they'll probably still be in this same ratio, which is a ton more COVID ones than than flu ones. Like, everyone should just, I don't know how, it's too late, I think, to just reset everyone's intuition. I think that's just burned into everyone's skull from the first two weeks of this, hearing those flu things, especially if you sort of lean right, like everyone out here in the desert just keeps comparing it to the flu, and, and like the meme on that side now is that, uh, oh yeah, you, you could die in a fireworks factory explosion, and if you test positive for a coronavirus, they'll call it a COVID death. And it's like, no, no. There's so many unreported ones. Yeah, it's it's definitely not something we can blow off. And also today we just had another, we had I think our third deadliest day in the U.S. today, and we're about to open things up again. Like we basically had another 9-11 today. We had almost 3,000 deaths today. It's... It's crazy. Sorry to be a donor. I'm just like I can't believe states are opening up. Like this is just gonna be such a catastrophe a month from now.
2: Yeah, like it's it's interesting. Like one. I don't know how what your communication's been like with your relatives back home uh map, but I'm from Canada and everybody's taking it just as seriously there as here, but like it's four thousand deaths across the whole country and like I'm in Queens, New York and there's more deaths just in my like borough, basically. Like, it's, it's so extreme here.
1: Um, well, I mean, the, U- the UK has, and uh, despite the government attempting to bury this news, the, uh, as of, I think, yesterday or the day before, became the most deaths in Europe. So we're now number one in Europe and number two in the world, I believe.
0: Yeah, it's, you, you, we're at 72,000. You're just over 30,000.
1: Which, by the way, I believe. We, we have a fifth of the American population.
0: Oh, so you're winning on actually. And even the U.S. isn't that high on the deaths per million population. It's like twelve. Yeah, that that's what
1: Trump has been
2: talking about number... at some point. He's like, "We're doing pretty good." <laughs> <laughs> the deaths no, per God, number.
0: we're not. No, we're not. I'm just a. I'm just amazed. I don't. I don't understand how China, if it's about reporting or if they actually did curb this, I can't believe that's possible. And I don't understand why we don't see tons more deaths out of India. Just those two. Massive populations. Yeah, just
1: because of the sheer numbers of people and how densely populated yeah. those countries are.
0: India saying 1,700? That makes no sense, but what do I know?
2: Um, yeah, Brazil Brazil, the, and India, I'm sure, will like, increase based on what's happening quite a bit.
0: Yeah, Brazil is like seventh on the list right now. Um, okay, we should do something less uh, uh Sorry to <laughs> give that news, but like I think it's, Get into it's grim worth getting into the
1: Yeah. Oh, by by the way, it looks like per capita, Britain is only fourth place so far, behind Belgium, uh, Spain, and Italy, and US is currently a, a paltry one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. It goes belgium spain italy uk france netherlands sweden ireland and then america
0: oh we have different websites mine includes things like san marino and andorra uh san marino being the worst deaths per per, per capita but doesn't san marino
1: have the like the population of a mid-sized high school
0: yeah oh it has 41 deaths but that makes it the highest right. number so per like population. when the numbers are that small
1: <laughs> you can't even like if if one extra person had died or not died, then that would have that would have changed its position in the ranking. I don't think.
0: I don't know. I think they're just very bad at at being a country. <laughs> I'm just gonna pass judgment. No, of, of course, yeah, super small. Same with uh, Saint Martin is on this list, even though it has 76. Marino's yeah, population deaths.
1: is 33 and, and a half thousand. Oh my god! Yeah, that's wow. it's smaller than many universities are.
2: yeah that's
0: true i think ut is bigger than that country (laughs) crazy
1: uh or or even like stadiums like most most premier oh yeah like most nfl uh, uh, and many premier league football stadiums are bigger than that
0: you can you can fit three san marinos in michigan stadium michigan football stadium okay some non-covid news do you want to do exoplanets
1: yeah let's, avocados or yeah let's finish with a nice little planetary story Well, there's been a few little planetary stories there's been another confirmation that a few people sent through another another confirmation that einstein was right and as one of the listeners i'm trying to see who it was uh one of our listeners wrote in just going uh do we really need to start these uh, articles with so it seems einstein was right like haven't we pretty much established that <laughs> I'm afraid yeah. I can't find exactly who it was who wrote that in, but that did that uh, that amused me.
0: You know what? I'm going to pull an audible because um, the exoplanet thing. We actually might be able to talk to someone who's involved in that, so I don't want to do that story until we can see if we could actually. All right. So that's a little sorry for the tease, but um, do you want? Are you going to do the, how the about, food story? I mean i I have no uh, dog in this fight or horse in this race. We, we don't have to. Do you want to? Um,
1: let's do it. Andrew Miller sent this one as well from the same website as the other one. I'm hoping this is a reliable website. I did see this new story reported in other places. Uh, I know, Andy, you eat meat. I do not eat meat. I believe, Scott, I if I remember right from when we were in the writer's it. room for a Memory Hole together, I think you, you, you're you a meat eater, right? I love
2: meat,
0: yep.
1: I don't exclusively eat no, meat. No, you don't. I'm not eating it right now as we speak. But, but
2: yes. I can't morally justify it, but I but i do really like to eat it
1: well maybe your lack of needing to morally justify stuff might put you in a better psychological place (laughs) according to this story anyway people who have who avoid meat consumption tend to have worse psychological health than those who eat meat according to new research published in critical reviews in food science and nutrition The study, which did not draw any conclusions about causation, found that vegetarians and vegans were at a greater risk of depression, anxiety, and self-harm, uh, and also says that it might be because they're big pussies, which I'm, I'm just, I'm just reading between the lines. I can't
0: believe SciPost.org said that. That's crazy.
1: It was in the journal. I am like, Fuck you, SciPost. Uh. So study author Oersker Dubersek, who's an assistant professor at the University of Southern Indiana, said dietary choices have been a powerful indicator of social class and subsequent mate selection, e.g. whom we marry since antiquity. Consequently, what we eat and how we eat are integral parts of our identity and directly influence our health via psychological, or physiological, social and psychological pathways. Therefore, given the dramatic surge in veganism and mental illness over the past two decades, a rigorous systematic review was a necessary first step in examining the relations between meat and mental health. The researchers reviewed 18 previous studies on the relationship between meat consumption and psychological health, which was narrowed down to depression, anxiety, deliberate self-harm, stress perception, and quality of life. The studies included 149,559 meat consumers, and eighty and eight thousand this is a big difference. And eight thousand five hundred and eighty four meat of stainers from Asia, Europe, North America, and Oceania. That's a I don't know why there is yes. this absurd ratio in this study of um, over what, sixteen, seventeen to one of meat eaters to non meat eaters. You think the ratio in the world isn't that? Well, Not
0: that it has to be... Not that a study has to have the same ratio as the population. That's... I mean, maybe maybe it is. Maybe
1: maybe that is close to the ratio of... Maybe that I... Maybe I exist in a world where I encounter a higher proportion of meat abstainers, as they put it in the article. Um, Vegetarian can be a fuzzy term. To avoid confusion, the researchers only examined studies that provided a clear distinction between meat eaters and those who abstain from meat. The researchers found clear evidence that those who abstain from, self, from consuming meat tended to have higher rates of or risk of depression, anxiety, and self-harm compared to those who did not. Less clear was how meat consumption was related to stress perception and quality of life. Dabrasek said, My co-authors and I were truly surprised at how consistent the relation between meat avoidance and the increased prevalence of mental illness was across populations. As we stated in our conclusion, our study does not support meat avoidance as a strategy to benefit psychological health but the causal relationship between the two is unclear of the 18 review studies 16 used a cross-sectional design the two studies that provided some evidence of causality had mixed results a randomized controlled trial found that vegetarians reported significantly better moods than omnivores and fish eaters after the trial but a longitudinal study found a vegetarian diet was predictive of depression and anxiety Hmm. uh so yeah we it caught with massive disclaimer that correlation does not mean causation, it could be A causes course, B, it yeah. could be B causes A, it could be A and B are both caused by a third factor.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I again start to just muse, and I'm not going to say the things, but yeah, it, <laughs> you wonder if it's if it's A and B caused by a different thing C.
2: I mean, you would think or just just so ab- conscientiousness, you, you know, if you believed that. It like deeply internalized that sort of mass murder of animals was happening around you all the time. that would be distressing,
1: yeah, yeah, although Maybe also we in the in the western world at the very least in the developed well we are very shielded from the meat gathering process that's true you don't. yeah you you wouldn't have to, to be, see yeah. it,
2: but you would you would know it. Or, You know, I guess you've watched the vegetarians have watched all the horrifying videos that the rest of us uh, exactly purposefully avoided because we know that we (laughs) could never go back.
1: Um, It it does say uh, in this article, um, we present several explanations for our results. For example, individuals struggling with mental illnesses may alter their diets as a form of self-treatment. Vegan and strict vegetarian diets may lead to nutrient deficiencies that increase the risk of mental illness. Many individuals with eating disorders use veganism and vegetarianism as a cover to hide their illnesses. That's a possible third factor. Oh, interesting. And individuals who are extremely sensitive to or focused on the suffering of animals may become both vegetarian and or depressed or anxious. Um, There are two major questions to be addressed. First, why do most vegetarians and vegans return to eating meat? Is it a biological drive to overcome nutrient deficiencies, or are the perceived benefits overwhelmed by the social stigma of non Western dietary patterns? Or perhaps is it that uh, the, the is, no-
2: is meat awesome?
1: Right. <laughs> or, <laughs> or is it just bacon, yeah. Or perhaps is it that the novelty and attention lose their effects over time while the efforts required to maintain a vegan and vegetarian lifestyle remain the same?
0: Ooh, scathing cypost.org. Yeah, so uh, wow yeah
1: yeah uh, uh how's, how's the judgy. novelty and attention
0: working for you uh, i
1: mean i'm still i'm still really getting off on the novelty and attention <laughs> i love every time i get to be awkward in a restaurant and that attention <laughs> so far has not lost its effect i still really thoroughly enjoy that conversation and that is staving off the depression for the moment
0: as good as the first day you inconvenienced somebody
1: yeah Right. And uh, that's great. And second, it says in this article, what is the temporal pattern of the relation? In other words, does the shift in diet occur before or after the psychological issues are manifest? Yeah. Uh, it's interesting. Uh, yeah, it's, it's obviously not saying
0: stop being vegetarian if you are, because you might just be a depressed mediator. Might be an even more depressed mediator if one of the theories is right.
1: Yeah, exactly. And then you're not only depressed, but you've got a higher risk of heart disease. And then when are, where are you?
0: and deliciousness very high high high
1: high incidence of savory awesomeness <laughs> and barbecues and and flavor town you have what's the correlation oh, of flavor town with depression yeah the
0: <laughs> uh, it was the per capita rate in in the population does flavor town take part in the 2020 census is that uh, going to end up on yeah the
1: no it should, it should be counted okay um it's just mostly
2: so- I, sauces
1: yeah <laughs> <laughs> I uh,
0: I actually have a place near me in the desert I, 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 I loathe to even admit this Because it sounds like I'm cheating on the, the quarantine But there there is a ribs place that's amazing And it takes like half an hour for your order And you can get a beer while you're there And everyone sits on the patio far apart But we're not actually in a bar or restaurant We're waiting for our orders But we are sitting at a table Where there's someone else with an eyesight And we are all holding beers And that's kind of fun
1: it, it is remarkable I'll how much pleasure get. you get from it. We went to the drive-in movies uh, la- the weekend before last, and it was great.
2: Oh, that's awesome! There's one. Where's, where's, where's one the in drive-in movie in LA?
1: There is one remaining that is about a 40 minute drive east of LA, in the direction of Ontario, and it's uh, you know I'll sit in a car for 40 minutes to do a thing these days. What else are you gonna do? What are you gonna do <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I really want to check that out. I can't believe I've never been to one in my life at all. We well, yeah, we we watched a. You got a double bill. You got you watched uh, the Invisible Man was the second film that was really good, and the first one was some some Vin Diesel movie that was everything you need from a Vin Diesel movie. <laughs> I still don't
0: know what what it was. You described it, and neither
1: of us could. It was I'd it's never called Blood it. something. Bloodless blood blood not bloodsport blood type oh, is, blood, blood? Blood. is it the blood. one
2: where he be- he's injected with something and becomes like super vin diesel
1: yeah it sort of starts off looking like it's going to blood be Shot. bloodshot there we go it starts off looking like it's going to be a remake of universal soldier with jean claude van damme and then it uh then it has a few little twists along the way but
0: ooh, that came out that came out march 13th that is arguably the worst time for a movie to come out in yep. history that was the day everything went went down. But it right? is,
1: uh, it's everything you need from it. We we sat there in the car. We had our we had our Vin Diesel. We had our Vin Blanc. <laughs> we had a... You're right. Nice. Uh, it was good. It was solid. Um,
0: yeah, I'll take anything approaching social interaction these well, days.
1: While we're talking about things to watch, uh, we should tell people again: Memory Hole on Quibi.
0: Oh yeah. Which. You can get a free 90-day trial of Quibi still, I believe, right? Uh, Has that,
2: that expired? It's over. I think oh. it's down to two weeks now. Yeah. Oh, okay. But okay, still, but still you a get, free, get a free trial.
1: There's still a free, still a free trial. Um, do it. Listeners, uh, get, particularly since everything, all the episodes are less than 10 minutes long, I think you can watch right, yeah. our entire season of Memory Hole, which Scott created and I wrote on. Uh, I think you can you can do the free trial, download it, sign up. Uh, watch all the episodes within an hour and then cancel your, cancel your- <laughs> <No>. <laughs> probably I mean, within
2: forty five minutes. Yeah, we actually I mean, we, we I, cut I mean, I, one of the one of the episodes, so now there's only there's seven episodes because that's true. That's it true. Was, it was. Ooh, it was, I, was it is, is a it juicy, juicy reason why you had to or not? Uh, it it had to do with the religious content, and that's all. That's probably Uh-oh. all I should say. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. I, know, it, I don't really have a it, sign off. It may off reemerge at some point. But just just, or just, if, just for hopefully. people
1: who don't know what the show is, it, it's uh, it, it it's Will Arnett, the very funny Will Arnett, and some really odd, weird, strange clips from Canadian and other TV past.
2: Yeah, the, the episode yeah, that seems to, that people seem to like the most so far is the one, the Littlest Hobo one, where the the entire episode is just about um this. 114 episode series about a crime-solving dog, like a live-action <laughs> kind of starring an actual dog. Uh, it's basically the Canadian Lassie,
1: but if, uh, if they made far more episodes than the possibility of a dog going from town to town solving problems could really handle.
2: Yeah, <laughs>
0: it's it's amazing the budget. supercut of all the all the people calling the dog pretty or beautiful is so <laughs> bizarre. <laughs>
2: Yeah, was, I was. I think after about t- watching twenty episodes, I noticed that pattern. I, uh, <laughs> Why uh, I, people uh, keep saying the dog is d- good looking.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it just gets really.
2: It's like in the
0: contract, the trainer requires them to compliment yeah. the dog. Or something.
1: I, I straight up, I, I I wrote on this show, and then I rewatched the all the episodes, knowing what jokes were coming up, and it still made me laugh. I I really loved watch working on this, and I'm I'm very happy with what we did. So. Yeah, download Quibi, sign up. I, I think so far you can only do it in more, North America. This might only apply to the North Americans, but it'll probably spread further afield soon. And there's loads of stuff to watch on it. But start with Memory Hole, and then tweet about it and say good things, because I want to make more of them. More of them. <laughs>
2: yeah. yeah, me too. That's yeah, still all, TV, all but been, hopefully
0: it's all you know TV quality production. It's all um, very. Well made. I've I've been scanning through there through the library. Yeah,
1: we we just, so if you don't know what it is, it's it's a new online video platform. But Jeffrey Katzenberg, who f- is one of the guys, the,
0: the K of SKG of DreamWorks, exactly. So
1: he's the guy behind Shrek and a lot of other very high quality things. Uh, raised a huge amount of money, and they've started producing some really good quality stuff with some impressive talent. And somewhere in the mix, we managed to get our thing through. And I'm very proud of it. So it's uh, so yeah. Do that memory hole, uh, Scott. Anything else that to plug? Anything else our listeners should know about?
2: Uh, I guess new episodes of Patriot Act uh, coming soon. Pa- awesome. Patriot Act Quarantine awesome. Edition, uh, which will awesome. be either look like a, a kind of lower tech netflix show or a higher tech youtube show we'll see what it looks like okay. <laughs> but it will it's an ever-changing world, yeah. fun and entertaining uh
1: so do that as always listeners thank you so much for your stories and your comments and your clarifications probably science at gmail.com is the email address to write in you can also find us on twitter at probably science facebook slash probably science dot com is the website where we list all of our shows and all the links to the stories we cover and also where the various donation buttons are um follow scott on uh you you're on twitter at scott vrooman right s-c-o-t-t-v-t
2: yeah me scott uh it's uh or there there is a scott Vrooman that got the twitter handle first you could follow him as well you know it's up to you he's a dude that really often in british columbia <laughs>
1: Um, collect those uh, you can find us individually on Twitter at Andy T. Wooden and at Matt Kirshen uh, Scott thank you so much for joining me from over in New York yeah thank you guys cheers and thank you listeners